Let us turn to the Word of God. We want to read some verses from different chapters in the book of Leviticus. Beginning, first of all, in Leviticus chapter 8. Leviticus chapter 8, and reading the first 13 verses together. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him, and the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. And he put the coat on him and tied the sash round his waist and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him and tied the skillfully woven band of the ephod round him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him, and in the breastpiece he put the Urim and the Thummim. And he set the turban on his head, and the turban in front he set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. Then Moses took the anointing oil, and anointed the tabernacle, and all that was in it, and consecrated them. And he sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times, and anointed the altar, and all its utensils, and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. And he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head, and anointed him to consecrate him. And Moses brought Aaron's sons, and clothed them with coats, and tied sashes round their waists, and bound caps on them, as the Lord commanded Moses. And then from chapter 9, the first verse. On the eighth day, Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel, and he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering, both without blemish, and offer them before the Lord. And say to the people of Israel, Take a male goat for a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both a year old without blemish, for a burnt offering, and an ox and a ram for peace offerings, to sacrifice before the Lord, and a grain offering mixed with oil, for today the Lord will appear to you. And they brought what Moses commanded in front of the tent of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. And Moses said, this is the thing that the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Then Moses said to Aaron, Draw near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people and bring the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord has commanded. Then moving on to verse 22. Then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he came down from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. And when they came out, they blessed the people. And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. 
and fire come out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, Israel put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered authorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. Amen. We end our reading there at verse 3 of this chapter. This is God's holy, precious, and infallible word. In Romans chapter 15 at verse 4, the apostle makes this remarkable statement. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. And there Paul is saying that those words of the Old Testament, written many, many centuries previously, should still be of great value and blessing to these non-Jews there in Rome. And what he was saying then is still true for us today. All of Scripture, all of Scripture, including every book of the Old Testament, has been inspired of God and is meant to be a blessing and a place of instruction for all of God's people. And friends, if our attitude sometimes is to be thoroughly bored as we read some passages in the Old Testament, then it's saying something about our own spiritual life. And so I want us to turn to these chapters in the book of Leviticus that we read there earlier. And yes, it is, uh, these chapters deal with the priestly system centuries before the Lord Jesus. But yet, in a sense, these chapters enlighten us about Jesus himself, our great high priest. And in a sense, also about our own situation today. Because if we are in Christ, we are priests too. These chapters came to mind recently, just over a month ago. In fact, just after the meetings of Synod, our neighbors were getting all of their fences uh, painted. And so when the fence between our neighbor and ourselves had to be done, he was, uh, the two guys doing the work were in our garden painting. And so I went out one afternoon to have a chat with the guys and I found there were, the phone was there on the ground and there was somebody preaching. And so I said, who are you listening to? And they said, it's some American guy. I'd never heard of him before. And then I said, which church do you go to? He goes to an Elam church somewhere in Belfast. I go, nowhere. I said, you know, why do you not go anywhere? I said, I used to go to church. But I found that we're teaching all kinds of things that weren't in the Bible. About Christmas, 25th of December. Jesus wasn't born then. 
about Easter. And there were lots of other things he said. So I, I just stayed home and I studied the Bible for myself. And as we were on discussing, he said, I call myself a Hebrew Christian because particularly in the book of Leviticus, I find lots and lots of things that are so true. But he said, not everything in the book of Leviticus has yet been fulfilled. And so there we had a little discussion about various chapters in Leviticus. And I confess I didn't always agree with him because I think these chapters have been fulfilled in Christ. And so these three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, I want us to look in a brief kind of way. Here, Aaron and his sons are being set apart for the priesthood. And before then, it was the head of every family who was responsible for offering sacrifices. But here, now, this body of men were being consecrated for this task. But obviously, we're not going to deal with every single verse in these chapters. But they do instruct us about many, many matters and enlighten us about some of our own responsibilities in our spiritual life. Chapter 8 deals with how Aaron and his sons are set apart for this new role. Then chapter 9 describes their very first day serving as priests. And then in chapter 10, we have this sad event that took place a short time afterwards. So let us see, first of all, then, the consecration. The consecration. Aaron and his sons had been chosen to take up this position in Israel in Exodus chapter 28. But it's only here in Leviticus, we don't know what the interval was, when this very long ceremony takes place that transformed the standing of these men. Now, many of us here have undergone ceremonies before we were bachelors, spinsters, ordinary members of the church. And then there was a marriage ceremony. We, be we became uh, husband, wife, ordained men. And those ceremonies take place in public, which underlines the importance. It isn't something done in secret. They're solemn, done before God. And that was the situation here. The whole community of Israel was summoned to this consecration. Chapter 9 begins on the eighth day, it says. So whether the events of chapter 8 took a whole week, we can't say. The very first verse, verses of chapter 8 are a simple introduction. Moses washes these men. He puts special clothes on Aaron and his sons. Today we recognize all kinds of people by their uniform. Policeman, a nurse, someone in the army. We see their uniform and we know exactly what their, their job is. And so it was the same here in the Old Testament. The, the particular garment that was put on them indicated what their job was. Elsewhere in the 
book of Deuteronomy, there's a verse directed to all the people that says, you should not wear cloth of wool and linen mixed together. Why? Because the priest garments were made of those materials. And so it wasn't for ordinary people to wear garments of the same material that the priests would be wearing. So here, Moses announced the tabernacle and all the objects in it before he announced Aaron himself in verse 12. And then there come a whole succession of sacrifices, a sin offering, a burnt offering. And then there's the ordination or the consecration of these men. And finally, Aaron is anointed a second time and his sons for the first time. And in verses 23 and 24, there's a very symbolic act done by, by Moses. He takes blood from the sacrifices and puts it on the right ear, the right thumb, and the big toe of the right foot of each of these men. In other words, every part of their body was being consecrated to the service of God. Every part of their being consecrated to the service of God. Friends, without looking even in too much detail in this chapter, some things are obvious. First of all, none of these men were qualified for this responsibility because of their own qualities. The abundance of sacrifices offered indicates the sinful nature of these men. Aaron and his sons were sinners. Sacrifices had to be offered because of their sin. Atonement, purification. And if that was the case at that time, it's the case of every servant of God today. Every minister, every elder is a sinner. Everyone who seeks to serve God is a sinner. And the fact of being a son of, or as here, the brother of, doesn't qualify anyone for a Christian service. But each and every one of them, they had to have their sins dealt with. They had to have the Holy Spirit symbolized by the anointing of oil, the Holy Spirit active in their lives. And that is the same for each of us today. We need the Holy Spirit to serve God. But the second thing that arises from these verses is seen in an expression that is repeated seven times in this chapter 8. The very first time is verse 4. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. Moses did as the Lord had commanded him. Then we have the same thing, verses 9, 13, 17, 21, 29, 36. Moses and Aaron didn't concoct a ceremony to impress the people or to provide something that would be memorable for these priests. No, every garment every act, every sprinkling had been ordained by God. 
everything that was done in these verses was done because God commanded Moses to do these things. In this chapter, this whole book, indeed all of Scripture, together makes it clear that we must worship God only in the way that He proposes, in the way that He makes possible. In fact, these phrases, as the Lord had commanded, is found time and time again throughout Scripture. We must worship God as He desires and as He commands. For many Christians today, other criteria play a considerable role. What will attract people? What will please people? Or others say, if something isn't forbidden in Scripture, it's okay, we can do it. But that is not what we find in Scripture. What God had ordained is what Moses did. And we find the same thing in the New Testament. Paul didn't say to the Corinthians, for example, use your imagination concerning the sacrament, how you might do it. No, he says, what I receive from the Lord, I have transmitted to you. What I have received from the Lord, I have transmitted to you. And friends, as I'm sure you realize, that's why in our church services here in our RP denomination, we have the singing of psalms, we have prayer, we have offering, preaching of the word. That's why we have the sacraments as they are. We believe this is how God has ordained these things. This is how God wants these things to be done. Now, of course, I'm not saying that those who do things differently are not Christians. I'm not saying that at all. But I'm saying that each one of us should seek to please God in every aspect of our lives, including in our church activities. We do what He has commanded. We want to be persuaded from the Scriptures what God has ordained. Then let's think of something different. How do these verses help us to understand the Lord Jesus Christ? our high priest. And as we read these verses and then go, for example, to a book like the Hebrews, the contrast is striking. The Lord Jesus was entirely without sin. There was no need to offer any sacrifice for him. His consecration didn't take place in the temple, but on the banks of the Jordan. He was baptized there by John the Baptist. He was sprinkled with water, but above all, he was anointed, not by a little oil, but the Holy Spirit came upon him without measure. These priests in Leviticus received a little oil, but the Lord Jesus, this, he was filled with the Spirit in a way we cannot really imagine. No doubt these priests in Leviticus, they stayed together for seven days. They feasted together. They communed together, eating the meat from the sacrifices. 
and no doubt had rich, warm communion together. But the Lord Jesus didn't eat anything. But he retired into the wilderness for 40 days. He didn't spend those 40 days speaking to other men. But he was communing only with his heavenly Father. And the Lord Jesus didn't have special clothes that he wore that people would recognize him. But how he bore himself, how he behaved, everything about him, there was an aura that was different. Every part of his body was devoted to the service of God and to the work of well-being of men and women like you and me. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest, without sin, our priest forever and ever. And of course, the fact that the Lord Jesus is such means that priests are no longer necessary, that we can have access to God. None of us needs another person to open the way for us into God's presence. A pastor has no more access into God's presence than an ordinary Christian. The Lord Jesus is the only priest, the only mediator that we need. And yet, of course, as we discover time and time again in the New Testament, all of us who are in Christ, we're called priests. We believe in the priesthood of all believers. And yes, women can be priests. But we don't offer sacrifices in order to gain access into God's presence. We are priests in the service of God. Our sacrifices are the sacrifices of service, the sacrifice of praise, the sacrifice of prayer, the sacrifice of our lives. We're to give ourselves as living sacrifices. The consecration. Are we consecrated to the Lord, wanting to serve Him each and every day? Then secondly, let us see the commencement here in chapter 9. This is what happens on the eighth day. That is the very first day when these men would actually serve as priests. And from the beginning, the whole community bring their sacrifices. And yet before doing anything, Aaron had to do something else for himself, namely sacrifice, offer sacrifices for himself. Verse 2. Take for yourself a bull calf for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. And the text doesn't tell us why those animals were chosen. But I'm sure that the calf aroused painful memories for Aaron. Several weeks before, he had grievously sinned in making a golden calf. And here he was to offer a calf for himself, for his own sin. And what happened that morning? That happened every morning for hundreds and hundreds of years. The first thing that happened in the tabernacle every morning, the first thing that happened in the temple every morning 
was that the priests who were there had to offer sacrifices for themselves. A sacrifice for sin and a burnt offering which meant their total commitment to God. Those simple things show that there were no perfect priests. They were all sinners. All sinners had to offer sacrifices. And the contrast is clear with the Lord Jesus. Hebrews 7, 26. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins, and then for those of the people. Wonderful. The Lord Jesus, sinless, perfect in every way. When Moses instructs the Israelites here about offering sacrifices, he adds something really interesting. The second part of verse 4, For today the Lord will appear to you. Then in verse 6 he says, This is the thing the Lord commanded you to do, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. And then in verse 23 we read, And the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Friends, do we want the glory of the Lord to appear in our midst today? Do we want the glory of the Lord Jesus to appear in our midst today? What does that mean? What does that mean? Before answering those questions, I think there are two things that are helpful in this passage. First of all, the order of the sacrifices. It was necessary to offer the sacrifice for sin first. And then the burnt offering, the consecration of the life, as it were. We must deal with our sin before we can give ourselves fully to God so that blessing may come. And the second matter is simply a repetition of what we have just seen. Again, three times in this chapter 9 comes the expression, as the Lord commanded as the Lord commanded. Verses 7, 10, and 21. Blessing follows obedience. Blessing follows obedience. And without obedience, we cannot expect the blessing of God. Probably the events in the closing verses of the chapter took place toward evening of that eighth day. We read in verse 22 that Aaron blessed the people. And while there was a human voice, the voice of Aaron that pronounced those words. As always, the blessing comes from God. The blessing always comes from God. Were Aaron's words, those words that we sometimes call the ironic benediction that we find in number six? We don't know those things. But then Moses and Aaron go into the tent, into the tabernacle again. We don't know why. And they come out, and they again bless the people. And it's at this time that the glory of God manifests itself. 
Since their exodus in Egypt, God had been leading the people by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And we can imagine the pillar of fire perhaps descending here in front of the tabernacle and consuming all the sacrifices. And for all of the spectators that day, that first day of sacrifices in the temple, all this showed that their sacrifices had been accepted. That God indeed was willing to forgive, to pardon their sin. That God was willing to have a relationship with them. That God indeed would bless them as he had promised. Their reaction was joy. Joy and worship and praise. Friends, what does all this mean for us today? The final and perfect sacrifice has been offered and accepted there upon the cross 2,000 years ago. So there's no need for fire every day to confirm it. The glory of God was manifested in the person of the Lord Jesus. John opens his gospel by telling us the word was made flesh and it dwelt among us full of grace and truth and we have contemplated his glory a glory like that of the only begotten Son of the Father. And after his first miracle, we read, he manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Yes, the glory. There wasn't a great outpouring of anything from heaven, but it was in his person they saw this man was God. They were moved to worship because they saw who he was. And so today, when the glory of God manifests itself, it isn't that there's something physical, something dramatic, something visual. No, the glory of God manifests itself when men and women are transformed, when men and women become more and more like Jesus, when people can see Jesus in us, People see something of our holiness, of our love, of our graciousness, of our willingness to forgive. See how we're like the Lord Jesus. Aaron blessed the people that day. And so we might say that even as Jesus was upon the cross, his arms outstretched, yes, there was blessing for the people. And at the end of his time upon earth, his ascension, we read, he took him as far as Bethany, then raised his hands and blessed him. As he blessed him, he separated from them and was taken up to heaven. And it's almost as if the picture is, that's how the Lord Jesus is in heaven, standing, wishing to bless his people upon earth. The desire to bless. Yes, one day we will see his glory. If we're in Christ, we'll see his glory face to face in heaven. But until that day, we will see his glory in his work. Work in the church. Work in the lives of people. The commencement. Commencement of their service 
as priests. Then lastly, let us see the condemnation. We're not going to spend much time here in chapter 10, but it illustrates very clearly some of the things we have just seen. These are the two eldest sons of Aaron. And what they did is described in the first verse, which ends with those solemn words, which he had not commanded them. Which he had not commanded them. After the deluge of as the Lord had commanded in the two previous chapters, suddenly these two guys do the very opposite. And we can't say what they did was out of ignorance or out of error, but it was deliberate. Deliberate. And the judgment of God was instantaneous. Instantaneous. And of course, for many, many people, when they read this chapter, they say, oh, this is terrible. This is this God of the Old Testament, this God of wrath, this God of anger, this God who destroys people. But friends, we have had nine chapters already in this book of grace, of forgiveness, of pardon, of love. You can't just take this incident at the beginning of chapter 10 on its own. Yes. But these verses come as a warning to us. The gravity of acts that are totally opposed to what God commands in his word. Friends, I think these things should make us think. There are no such things as little sins. Many people ask, what was the problem taking a fruit of a tree? Why did that demand punishment? Friends, one act was a sin. And every sin calls forth God's judgment, God's anger. But these sins of these two guys among the people of God, they had just been consecrated as priests in the service of God. And yet they do things totally, totally opposed to what God had asked them to do. Friends, I think verses such as this calls us to the fact that we need to pray for all who are servants of God. The sins committed by those who are servants of God are a thousand times more serious than the sins of others. I confess I know some men. I know men in France, men with whom I were friend, I was friends some of the things that they did where they are have made headlines and I thought they were brethren in Christ friends do we pray for those in spiritual leadership do we pray that God will protect them God will guard them God will keep them faithful or do we say oh they know how to get on with it 
those who are in the service of God. Satan wants such people to sin, to call the gospel into disgrace. So we need to pray for all of God's servants. Yes, the sin of God's servants is grievous. And likewise, the sin of people who are faithfully taught God's word is much more serious than those who have never, the sin of those who have never been taught. We have responsibilities because we are priests of God, the priesthood of all believers. We have many privileges and blessings. Yes. But how we can give thanks that our great high priest offered a perfect sacrifice for the sin of all who put their trust in him. All of us here, alas, we have fallen, we have sinned many, many times. But we give thanks because of that work of the Lord Jesus. There is forgiveness, there is pardon. Yes. But if we reject that sacrifice of the Lord Jesus for whatever reason, or add to it because we think it isn't sufficient of itself, that attracts the judgment of God. I imagine that all of us here know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But a couple of verses later, verse 18, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe is already judged, because he did not believe in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Friends, we have to ask ourselves this morning, are you a stranger to the Lord Jesus Christ? Are you someone who can give thanks that your great priest went to the cross, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice, that a sinner like you could be accepted by God? Are you trusting in the Savior? As the writer to the Hebrews says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Yes, friends. There is no other salvation. There's no hope. No matter how many qualities, how good our life might be, if we're not trusting in Jesus, we're lost for all eternity. These Israelites, they rejoiced when the glory of God fell, when those sacrifices were accepted, because they knew. They knew there was salvation, there was hope, there was peace. Friends, have we hope today? Have we peace with God? Because we are trusting in our great high priest. I'm trusting in that sacrifice he offered on the cross all those years ago. Amen. Our Father, we do thank you again that you sent 
into this world your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. What great love you showed. What great love he showed. And Father, how we thank you for that work on the cross, that work that provides salvation for all who trust in him. And Father, as we're bowed here in, our, in your presence, you know each one of us. You know our hearts. You know if we're in a right relationship with you. Father, examine us. And we pray even today that we might renew our commitment to you. We might rejoice afresh in that saving work of the Lord Jesus. And yes, Father, we pray that you would enable us to give of ourselves daily living sacrifices in your service in order to bring glory to your name, in order that your kingdom might grow and be extended, especially in this neighborhood and indeed throughout the world. Now may the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, the love of God, our Heavenly Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.